Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, we declare you are Lord. You are Lord of all. You are Lord and Savior, Redeemer. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. Glory to your name. Glory to the name of the Lord. We adore him. We lift him up. We honor him. We give him all the reverence. So worthy to receive. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, Merry Christmas to y'all. Those on live stream, podcast, thanks for joining with us tonight. Merry Christmas to y'all. It's a great day to celebrate, truly the day that the Lord has made. We do rejoice and we're glad in it. Isn't that right? Amen, amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Why don't you go ahead and be seated? Praise the Lord. God is good all the time, all the time. Well, since it's Christmas Eve, we're going to start over in Luke chapter 2. Surprise, surprise. But um, we may be coming at some things. It's a little different tonight. Hello, Barbara. Glad that you could be on live stream tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Luke chapter 2 in verse 7. You know the whole account with Gabriel had come and announced to Mary that she was going to have child. And uh, she didn't know how that was going to happen. But the angel said, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and you will conceive. Isn't that right? And it says here in verse 7, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in clothes, in cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. You notice it doesn't say they couldn't afford the inn. They could afford the inn. There just wasn't any room. You know, there was a census in progress, and everybody had to travel to where they were originally from for the census. So everybody had traveled. Many people traveled back to Bethlehem, and by the time Mary and Joseph got there, there was no room left. So all the rooms were taken, and uh, they couldn't get in the inn. So we know that they went to a place that we always call the stable. And, um, uh, you know, we think it's a, a lean-to or a pole barn or something, but it wasn't. It was actually a cave. And in the cave is where a lot of people would keep their animals. And therefore, it was a stable, but it was in a cave. Okay. And it says they laid her in a, in a manger, and of course, all the pictures like this, you know, we see him in a, in a wooden manger, but he wasn't in a wooden manger. He was actually in a, a stone cut out in the cave that was actually an animal trough. And they would put food in there for the animals to come eat, and that's where they laid him in. He was born in a cave, laid in a trough, and she wrapped him in cloths, and the cloth was actually sheep wrappings that they would use to wrap the, sh the legs of sheep when they were first born to make their legs strong. So Jesus was born in a cave, laid in a stone trough, and had sheep wrappings wrapped around him. <laughs> Amen. What does that have to do with anything? Nothing really, because he's still Lord and Savior and still Redeemer. Isn't that right? And that is what counts. You know, you can't get caught up on the little things. It's like some people say, you know, Jesus wasn't really born in December. I don't care. He was born, wasn't he? That's what counts. You know, you know, I was born in January. You want to celebrate it in June? I'm open to gifts. 
No, fine with me. I have no problem with that. You just missed the whole point with all this nitpicky stuff. The point is he was born. That's what counts. Isn't that right? Amen. So Mary, you know, her parents were older, just like um, Elizabeth's parents. Was it Elizabeth? Yeah, Elizabeth. Well, Elizabeth and her husband, you know, they were older, and they wanted a son. And remember John the Baptist in their old age? She gave birth. Well, Mary's parents were older also, and they wanted a child, okay? And they would tell the Lord, you know, if we have a child, we will dedicate the child to the Lord, just like um, Hannah did with the prophet Samuel, dedicated him to the Lord, right? So from the time that Mary was born, her parents always told her that she was born to serve God. And Mary was raised in a home where God's word was priority. And because God's word was priority, as a child, she was shaped spiritually and she was made spiritually sensitive. You know, that's very important. It's not just, you know, you teach your kids some doctrine. It's about your children learning to be spiritually sensitive. You know, and, and that's what's really important. Amen. You know, I've, I've known kids and, and we'd say, you know, well, are you supposed to do that? Have you prayed about it? And they say, no. And we say, well, why not? And they say, because God would say no. Well, you know. <laughs> what does that mean? It means at least they knew. So she was raised uh, she was shaped spiritually through the word of God and raised to be spiritually sensitive to the things of God. So when uh, the angel showed up and said, you're going to have a child, she didn't say, this can't be. Are you kidding me? How's this? Gonna? This can't happen. She didn't do that. That was what Zacharias did. And that's why Zacharias went dumb and couldn't speak until John the Baptist was born. But Mary didn't do that. She just said, well, how's that going to happen? So then the angel went on to explain it's going to be the Holy Spirit that overshadows you, and you're going to give birth. So back it up to verses 4 and 5. And it says, Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David. Verse 5. He says, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. So Joseph had gone up from Nazareth to go to Bethlehem to register in the census. And it says here that Mary went with him and she was engaged. They were both engaged, but she was with child. Now, you have to understand, this is not the 21st century where anything goes. Mary and Joseph were engaged and she was with child. Joseph who was a carpenter, and the word carpenter in the Greek is the word tekton, which means a person that is highly advanced in their skill. He wasn't a whittler. He didn't make little birds to sell people, wooden birds. This word for carpenter means somebody that makes exquisite furniture or makes mosaics or stonework. He could be a building supervisor or he is a highly paid professional. He lived in Nazareth, and up the hill from Nazareth was the city of Sepphoris. And that's where he would work in Sepphoris. And that's where he met Mary's family, because they lived in Sepphoris, which was right up the hill. Okay? When Jesus grew up and he grew older, he worked with his father Joseph 
in Sepphoris as a building supervisor and a highly paid professional. And as Jesus would go to work in Sepphoris, he would go there and visit his grandparents. He had a lot of influence from the city of Sepphoris when he would teach. For instance, he would say things like, a city set on a hill cannot be hid. And he would point to the city of Sepphoris that was up on a hill. And there was a lot of things about Sepphoris that was used in his teaching. But we're not going into that tonight. But the Jewish custom of the day was that couples would be engaged for one year. And during that one year, they would prepare for marriage. You know, most people prepare for their wedding, but never prepare for their marriage. It's amazing how much time goes into the wedding planning and never thinks about the marriage planning. So during this one year of engagement, they are to prepare for marriage. And they are to be trained in the things that they're going to deal with in marriage. And sexual purity was required during this time of engagement. because it would show that the couple is very serious about having God's blessing in their marriage. You know, you don't get God's blessing in your marriage just because you stand up and go, I do, I do, and the, and the priest, whatever, you know, or the pastor or whoever it might be just, you know, says a prayer. No, 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 no. If you want God's blessing in your marriage, you got to walk in the direction that will bring God's blessing. So that was the whole idea of the engagement. Well, guess what happened during this time of engagement? Mary gets pregnant. Yeah, <laughs> you know, makes you wonder. But Joseph, he was a very righteous man. Ma Joseph did not want to make a public spectacle of Mary, even though they could hurt his honor and hurt her honor. Right. But Joseph was very kind and he was very merciful. Joseph was very committed to scripture. And he had a lot of integrity when it came to the word of God, but he was not religiously mean and he was not legalistic. In fact, look at Matthew chapter one. Verses 19 and 20. Matthew chapter 1, 19 and 20. So they're, they're engaged and, Joseph, and Mary is with child. And it says in verse 19 and 20, And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered it, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not... Be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So even in the midst of an extremely difficult situation, he's spiritually attuned to hear God speak to him. Now, some people, you know, would think, well, of course, I mean, he had a dream. How could he not hear? <laughs> really? <laughs> you know. Lots of people have lots of dreams, and they spend their whole life trying to figure something out because they don't know what they've heard. They don't know if it's a dream from God or if they just ate too much pizza. <laughs> you know, right? So in the middle of extremely difficult situations, he hears from God because his emotions are not running wild. He's not letting his emotions run wild over this whole situation, which is very, very important. Verse 24 and 25. It says, And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. And he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Okay? So not only did Joseph hear 
from God. He obeyed God without hesitation. Why? Because Joseph was already developed in hearing and obeying. This isn't a first-time deal for Joseph. He's, he is in the habit of hearing and obeying. So this was not a new thing with Joseph. You know, God didn't go, well, let's give Joe a chance and let's see what happens. Oh, man, he's not doing good. Let's go find somebody. No, no. Joseph has been trained in hearing and obeying the things of God. So the Lord obviously has spoken to Joseph before, and Joseph has proved himself faithful. How do you know he proved himself faithful? God is trusting Joseph with his own son. He's proven himself faithful already. Amen. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi, the wise men, right, from the east, arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And Herod the king heard this, and he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. Now, Bethlehem was about six miles away from where they were at, where they met with Herod. All the scribes and all these religious people knew where he was going to be born, but nobody could be bothered to go. The heathen from, from, from Persia came. Don't shout me down. Verse 8 through 11. It says, and he sent them to Bethlehem. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you found him, report to me so that I may also come and worship him. And hearing the king, they went their way. And the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. Okay? So, they found the place where the child was, and they came into the what? Not the cave. They came into the house. So, that means this whole setup is always wrong every year. Because there was no magi, there was no wise men when Jesus was born. By the time the wise men got there, they were living in a house. I'm nice to the set. We love the set. We put it up every year because the wise men are part of the Christmas story. The birth of Jesus just wasn't at the time in the manger. Okay? So, Herod asked the wise men when they had first seen the star and, you know, how long that had been that they were following. So based on what he had heard from the wise men, he went out to kill all the children two years old and younger based on the star. Because were they following the star for two years? Did the star show up when Jesus was born? Did it show up before he was born? And did it bring him to the time when he was born? We don't really know. But Jesus, by the time the wise men get there, is between the time of birth and two years old. And he's living in a house. Amen. After coming into the house, we're going to read on to 15. After coming into the house, 
they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. And when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. And he remained there until the death of Herod. And this was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. Amen. So the wise men, they came to worship Jesus and they brought him gifts. Gold, which represented deity. Frankincense, that represented priesthood. And myrrh, that represented the anointing for burial. Amen. And uh, according to the day that if you were going to visit a king, you didn't go with a coffee cup that said, my favorite king. I brought you a coffee cup, says my favorite king. For a low-level king, the, um, the, the amount of gifts that was brought to a low-level king in today's economy would be worth about $5 million. To a high-level king, if you went to visit a high-level king, then the amount of gifts being brought to a high-level king was estimated to be about $40 million. And if you search that out all through the Old Testament, all the kings that had received gifts and everybody that had visited kings and all, you'll find that that to be the truth, okay? Because you know I wouldn't lie to you. So, they have, so the kings have come, the wise men came, and they brought these gifts. Now, Jesus, they're considering king, priest, and anointed for burial, and ascension. So this is high level. So their gifts were very, very expensive. They didn't bring little boxes of trinkets. They would bring carpets. In fact, when they traveled, they had the whole Persian army as their guard and protection. It wasn't just three kings on camels. They traveled with the Persian army for their protection because of the amount of treasures that they had to bring to the king. Amen. And immediately, as soon as the wise men leave, immediately an angel comes to Joseph and tells Joseph, you need to get up, get, get, get the child, get Mary, and get to Egypt. Well, this is a life-changing decision. This isn't just something, something simple. You're going to leave a highly paid position in Sepphoris. You're going to leave your parents. You're going to leave your in-laws. You're going to leave Joseph. You're going to leave everything you've ever known about life. And now you're going to move to a pagan city called Egypt where nobody knows you and you know nothing about this place. Well, what are you going to do for work? How long am I going to be there? Well, how am I going to provide for my family? But what did Joseph know? The Lord said, therefore, he did regardless of the cost. Well, maybe that was the purpose of the wise men's unexpected gifts to take care of them. You know, God don't tell you to do things without taking care of you. God is not some mean ogre. God is pro-vision. When he gives you vision, he gives you pro-vision because he is pro. 
for the vision. Isn't that right? And he's there to help you every step of the way. Hallelujah. Now, when Joseph and Mary got engaged, according to Jewish law, Mary was anywhere between 12 and 14 years old when she got engaged. So Joseph, you figure, is about 16 or 17 years old. They were engaged for a year. So when they got married, Joseph was about 17 or 18. And when he leaves for Egypt, he's 20, about 20 years old maximum. He was not a bald-headed man with a beard. <laughs> <laughs> so here he is at 20 years old, making major decisions, obeying God, and his level of obedience reveals much about him. Well, what about ours? Where's our level of obedience, and what does it reveal about us? Can God say of us, I know that you'll do whatever I ask? Well, does he know we're going to drag our heels, kick, scream, and argue? But after two months, bless God, I'll get it together. What happened to immediate? That's what God's looking for. God's not looking for you to get it together after two months. He's looking for immediate because that's what he can trust. So therefore, Joseph's level of obedience said a lot about him. Whatever our answer is and whatever the answer reveals about our level of obedience that will tell us whether we're ready for a promotion or advancement within the kingdom. And God does have advancements and promotions in the kingdom. And you can drag your heels and you can kick and scream all the way and just continually put off your advancement and your promotion. And you can let the flesh just have its way until you finally get it under control, but you're just putting off your advancement and your promotion. Because God's watching. He walks through the midst of the church. Isn't that right? So Joseph, by the time he's 20 years old, is spiritual leader of his family. God's chosen Joseph to care for his own son. He's watched Joseph for a long time. Well, how long is a long time if Joseph is only 20 years old? He's watched him. He has watched him through the years. He's come to him. He's asked him to be obedient to do certain things. And Joseph had to prove himself obedient. He had a track record of prompt obedience, willing to sacrifice everything to do whatever the Lord has asked him to do. And just as God watched Joseph, God watches every single one of us. You do not escape his eye. He watches. He scrutinizes. Isn't that what we talked about with the churches of, uh, of, of Revelation? He walks through the middle of the church. He scrutinizes. He watches. He examines. And he knows firsthand everything about our life. Amen. God wants to know. And it's never too late to get on track with him. Never. It's never too late. Back over to Luke chapter 2. Verse 8, Luke chapter 2, verse 8. It says, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the field and keeping watch over their flock by night. All right. So we know the account of the shepherds. But what we don't know is that these are not ordinary shepherds. These are shepherds that are in what they called shepherd's field in Bethlehem. Shepherd's field is where they kept the sheep that was being raised for temple sacrifices, the unblemished lambs. They're set apart and they're consecrated 
for the specific purpose of temple sacrifices. So taking care of these sheep is very serious business. All right? Verse 9. It says, And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. So all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they're just doing what they normally do. I'm just taking care of my sheep. They're not believing God for some kind of a manifestation and expectation. They're just taking care of the sheep like they normally do. But then all of a sudden, an angel appears. And surprisingly, there's this glorious appearance all around. The glory of the Lord has shown all around them. This isn't just like a nightlight came on. This is the glory of God all of a sudden is shining all around them while they're out there in the field. You think it took them off guard? You think it took them by surprise? Wouldn't it scare you? Exactly. Verse 10 and 11. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So they said, so behold, which means, hey, listen to this. You know, it's not behold, you know, like you see in the movie. I mean, this is an exclamation word. This is an exciting word. Hey, listen to this. Let me tell you what's going on here. Let me tell you why I came. I've come to tell you some good news, guys. There is born for you Savior, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, born in Bethlehem just for you. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. This is the first declaration on the face of the earth. And it takes place in the shepherd's field, declaring Jesus in his mission as the Savior, that Jesus is coming as the sacrificial lamb. You think you're taking care of lambs? Son, here's the lamb that's come for the sin of the world. Amen. Amen. And he said what? He said, Christ the Lord. And the Lord means the highest authority. He reigns supreme. There is none higher than this. Hallelujah. 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 Verse 13 and 14. And suddenly, there's more. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Hallelujah. Suddenly, suddenly. I mean, it was one thing. An angel showed up. The glory of the Lord is all around us. And we hear the angel talk to us. But then suddenly the whole host of heaven shows up and they start declaring praising and it says here they started to say they didn't sing they weren't singing glory to God in the high they were saying it glory to God in the the whole host of heaven is there saying glory to God in the highest they're announcing and proclaiming praise to God these are not little baby angels in diapers this is the host of heaven this is the army the soldiers of heaven the, the, the warring angels of heaven, and they've come to give praise to the great and mighty God. Hallelujah. Verse 15, and eight, verse 15 through 18. It says, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry. 
Yeah, I'd be hurrying. And they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told to them by the shepherds. The shepherds have immediately become evangelists. They're out proclaiming the, the news that they heard. And they've seen it. Now they're going to go tell everybody. Amen. Amen. What a great night that was. Praise the Lord. There hasn't been no night like that night since that night. Hallelujah. We'll go over to Philippians chapter 2. Verses 6 and 7. Because Paul records some things about the great miracle that took place on what we call Christmas Day. It says, Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. So he's talking about Jesus, Jesus the Word, the Word, right? God, eternally existent, took on flesh and took on the form of a bondservant. And it says here he existed in the form of God, okay? So to say in the form of God is to say that Jesus eternally existed as God. That the baby in the manger was not a component of God. The baby in the manger was not a symbol of God. The baby in the manger was God himself. Hallelujah. He possessed the outward appearance as well as all the glory and the power of God. Not only God, but it's written in the Greek in the definite article, the God. The God, which means he is the most high God above all the pagan gods and any other God you can come up with. He is the God. And Jesus was eternally existent as the God. In the Hebrew, he's called, it's called Elohim. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. And the word Elohim is a plural word. Father, the Word, and the Spirit, all three equally together as one Created all of creation. Eternally existent and will exist for all eternity. Amen. So as God comes to the earth, humans could not endure the manifestation of the presence of God. So therefore he had to clothe himself in human form so that he could live and move among mankind. Or he never could in his splendor. Man couldn't take it. Verse 7. It says he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. He emptied himself, which means to evacuate or to shed, which means he took on an appearance as a man. And in order to do that, he had to willfully and deliberately and temporarily let go of all of the attributes we usually think of when we think about the characteristics of God. He did away with all of them. And for 33 years on the earth, he emptied himself of all heavenly glory and walked as a bondservant on the earth. From the day he was born to the day he went on to heaven. He took the form, okay? He took the form of a bondservant, which means he reached out from his eternal existence as God and reached into the material realm. And he created and took on human flesh upon his own self. Because he wanted to be among his creation. You wonder why he looked so happy. He was walking among his creation. 
You know, I mean, I have never seen, you know, every, just about every movie I've ever seen of Jesus, he's the, he's the saddest person I've ever known. And yet, he's come to live and walk among his creation. In fact, man is the crown of his creation. Isn't that right? He longed to be with us so much and wanted so much to bring salvation to us that he put off his eternal glory and became as we are human. He's a bondservant. A bondservant is different than a servant. A bondservant is one who does the bidding of their owner. That the principal task of a bondservant is to fulfill the desires of their master. A bondservant looks to help, to assist, and fulfill the master's wants and dreams in the exclusion of everything else. That's why Jesus said, I, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me. That's all that he would do, the will of the one who sent him, a bondservant. His will as a human being is completely swallowed up in the will of the Father. Amen. Hallelujah. And it says here, uh, taking on the form of servant and being made in the likeness of God. Being made, that's the miracle of Christmas. When Mary conceived the child, the eternally existent word of God, God himself was made as a man inside her very womb. It was performed by the Holy Spirit who overshadowed her. Isn't that right? In the likeness of men. The word likeness is not only in physical form, but also the likeness of what we feel and the likeness of what we think. In other words, he took on the likeness of our soul as well as our physical being. The great supernatural exchange was made because Jesus became just like us in every, every way. And you don't have to turn over there, but that's why it tells you in Hebrews 4.15, you don't have a high priest that cannot sympathize with your feelings, that he cannot be touched with the feelings of your infirmities. He can be because he's lived in a human body. He's in the likeness of your soul. He has suffered the trials, the temptations, the pressures of what it is like living under this world system and living in a physical body. He's dealt with all of it, but yet he's never sinned. And that's why verse 16 says, therefore come to the, the throne of grace that you would find grace and mercy to help in time of need because he knows exactly what you need and he knows exactly how to get out of whatever it is you're dealing with. All you have to do is want to get out. It's all you need just to want to get out. If you want to get out, he'll be there to help you because he's been through it. He's felt it. He's dealt with it. He's been tempted. He's gone through the trials. He's had the temptations come to him. But he chose not to sin. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So he's there to help us as we need help. Verse 8. It says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death and even death on a cross. Found in the appearance of a man. Now, this was used as described a true story from ancient literature about a king who put off his royal robes and dressed as a commoner and freely walked among people. You've seen little movies about this stuff and things. Well, that was a true story from back in ancient days. So when he put off his robes in order to walk among the people, nobody recognized him. And he just roamed about 
the citizenship. God wanted to be with us so much, but he couldn't in his splendor, so he reclothed himself to look just like us. And that's how much he loves you, that he wanted to be with you. You understand, from the day that the word of God, Jesus, came and was birthed on the face of the earth, except for 10 days, the presence of God has never been off of this earth. Amen. The 10 days was between the resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit. That was the only 10 days. But outside of that, his presence has always been here. That's how much he loves you. And then it says that he humbled himself by becoming obedient, obedient to the point of death and even emphatically death on a cross. He died our death so we could live his life. That we could live his life now in this age and live his life forever. So we could paraphrase it by saying this. Can you imagine this? The word of God made flesh, named Jesus, humbled himself to such a lowly position and became so obedient that he even stooped low enough to die the miserable death of a cross just for us so we could live his life. What a great exchange. What a great exchange. That was the whole purpose Jesus was born. He was born so that he could die. Die for us, die like us. Pay our price for our sin, the sacrificial lamb, as it was announced in the shepherd's field. He exchanged our death for his life, and he gave it for us, his life, but he also gave his life to us. For everyone who believes on him as their savior could be forever free. He is the sacrificial lamb delivered up for us. His perfect sinless blood given to pay the price for our sin. And the sinless given for the sinner so the sinner can become sinless in their heart. Amen. Amen. John chapter 1 verse 12. Close here. This is the last verse. John 1 12. It says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. There is no other requirement for salvation to become a child of God, to receive him, to receive his sacrifice that was given for us, to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives you the right, the power, and the authority to become a child of God. Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Well, it's not our blood. It's his sinless blood that was shed. Salvation is only the beginning of a life of promises that's given for us. That we can step into his life, that we can grow into his life, grow in that covenant, grow in those promises, grow in the inheritance that he has given to us, that we can enjoy all of the down payment right here on this earth and in the age to come step into the fullness of our inheritance and we all know and we've discussed this uh, in the over the last several weeks all about our life and uh, being overcomers in certain areas and the rewards that are given to us you know we're talking about after this age is done there's a thousand year reign 
you don't get to come back and try it a second time. This is it. It's a one chance shot. We get to get it right this time. And whatever we get is going to be for all eternity. And whatever we miss is going to be for all eternity. We don't want to miss. We don't want to miss salvation. We don't want to miss rewards. We don't want to miss promises. We don't want to miss inheritance. We want everything that Jesus came to die for, shed his blood for, gave himself on that cross for so that we could be free. He loves you so much. He holds nothing against you. The Bible says it very clearly. He holds no sin against you because he paid the price for every single one of them so that we could be free. And therefore, the only requirement for salvation is to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior in life. Amen. So let's just bow our heads for a moment. If you're on live stream, podcast, listening by podcast, just bow your head for a moment. You know, Jesus loves you, cares about you, and wants only the very best for you. The Father loves you and wants the best for you. And that's why Father gave his best, his own son, to come and pay the price for you so that you could be free, free from it all, free from sin, free from bondage, free from captivity, free from everything that sin has ever offered to any human being and given you victory over anything and everything that hell could ever offer any human being. You don't have to live in the condition you're in. You can walk free, walk out, and walk into liberty. If you've never accepted Jesus as Lord of your life, whether you're in the room, on live stream, or on podcast, if you've never accepted Jesus as Lord of your life, you can tonight. And it just changed your destiny. It changed everything in your heart, everything in your life. So let's just say this together as a whole group. God in heaven... I can see today that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus paid my price, that he was born so that he could die for me. My sacrifice in my place so that I don't have to suffer the judgment and punishment that should come on me. But Jesus bore it away. Jesus carried it for me. His blood was shed for me so that I could be washed clean. God, you said in your word that if I received Jesus, I could become a child of God. So today, from my heart and with the sincerity, I say to you, God, I receive Jesus into my life, into my heart. And I thank you because I do. I can be a child of God. I am a child of God. Since I'm a child of God, I now call you Father. Thank you, Father, for saving me. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus for me. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done so that I could be free, that I could be saved. I thank you for loving me. Thank you for it, Father. Amen. Amen, amen. Now, if you've never prayed a prayer like that, and you prayed today on your way out, if you want to tell me you prayed that prayer, I'll give you a little booklet that you can read. 
and we can help you with some things and let you know about what's happened today. If you're on live stream or on podcast, if you prayed that prayer and you've never prayed that prayer today, contact us and we'll send you that book and uh, talk to us over email or by messaging, however you may want to contact us, and we'd be glad to sit and talk with you. But we'll send you a book and let you know about what has happened to you today. Because today, you changed your destiny. Today, your whole path of life and eternity has changed. Changes everything about life. Amen. Amen, amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Father, we bless you. We honor you and we glorify you, Lord God. We give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. Lord Jesus, you are worthy of all praise and adoration. You are the glorious King, the majestic Lord, the mighty God, the everlasting one. There's none like you, Lord, none like you, Lord, none like you, Lord. Thank you for loving us. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. Oh, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. Eternity's not long enough to say thank you. My life of obedience to you is not enough to express the thanks I have for all that you've done for me. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I was headed to hell, but no longer. My life has been changed. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Well, we're going to have the music team come up, and we're just going to do some Christmas carols. And... um, Honor God. You know, Christmas carols have got a lot of word in them. Come on up. Don't just sit there. Come on up, guys. Oh, yeah. Somebody's going to get the children? I know they were going to bring the children out for Christmas carols. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I'm going to stand next to the wise man here. (laughs) So I can be wise. Okay. Are we ready? Huh? Yeah. I probably would need this. (laughs) All right. Let's, if you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to sit, you can sit. But we're going to honor the Lord. God bless you, Mary, gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power. Son of God by name, oh, tidings of God. 
wonderful Christmas. Remember the reason for us given to mankind. Jesus is the greatest. Amen. 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 